I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I sit on set and worry about it. Um, if you haven't joined us for the last month, welcome to Syrupcast. My name is Daniel Bader. I'm joined by Douglas Soltis, who uh, is enjoying his uh, his summer hiatus as much as I was. I've been traveling. You you were traveling a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, cumulatively, we just well f- for the first f- couple of weeks, we just kind of tried and failed to schedule, and then I think we accepted our inevitable summer doldrum fate and just. Well, it we ended up being that every day we tried to pod, you and I were both at an airport in a different city. So right, one one once I was in uh, New York. One I once I was in, I want to say, London. Mm-hmm. Once I was in Scotland. Yeah, all those places were beautiful. I was way. choosing between using the washroom or going through customs. <laughs> true, true story. So there's been a lot to kind of talk about so let's um let's start with the big news today uh that's the blue jays <laughs> 11 know. in a row son i can't i Nobody can't wait till they the i can't wait till they completely combust in the playoffs will be um, it'll be fun to watch no like, it won't. <laughs> uh, like it is every year although they'll make the playoffs this year i was uh tweeting matt hartley yesterday because he's doing what i was doing um in late november of last year when the raptors were acing every team in the league tweeting things like what is life <laughs> like what is this and i'm like as as a as a toronto fellow toronto sports fan i feel obligated to tell you to slow your roll and manage your expectations uh otherwise it's it, the crushing blow is going to be more crushing but he's like no yeah. screw it i'm gonna I'm, I'm on for the ride 11 in a row um sure so. why not um so yeah, let's let's actually talk about the most important news of the day, which is the Galaxy Note Five, Galaxy S Six Edge Plus. They're, I would say, not that interesting from a hardware perspective. They're pretty much the Galaxy S Six, but bigger, bit more RAM. But from what Samsung's managed to do from a logistics and distribution standpoint, I think that's worth talking about. Now. Um, the fact that they're launching this phone about a month earlier or three weeks earlier than they normally do, and they're they have enough inventory and enough of a distribution network that they're launching it ten days after they actually announce it is or not eight days after they announce it is astounding. So this is like Apple level stuff here, and it mm-hmm. really speaks to the fact that Samsung is truly able to finagle and push its component manufacturers um, many of which is you know m- many of whom are actually just subsidiaries of the company itself 
or like itself in general to um, to get these parts out. And it means that the time to building these devices is getting shorter and shorter because basically all they did was just reuse the Galaxy S6's design and put it in a larger chassis. Yeah, well, so, yeah, a lot of this does, won't have any effect on... Um consumers or phone users in general but it ha will have an effect on samsung as a company's ability to make money right uh the more the more efficient they are with the supply chain the more effective they are in rolling these things out the the quicker they can profit from it i also think that with with the whole um just edge thing in general the speed with which they they were able to get a new version out is partially because the initial run was kind of like a, a test, which then they quickly realized was more popular than what they were actually trying to sell. So they, they probably put a lot of effort in, like, what's the what's the quickest, quickest mass-produced version of this device that we could get out? And maybe um, rather than following a regular production cycle, kind of change that midstream. But, yeah, I would say it's impressive. Um, it's interesting you're talking about the, the hardware not being uh, exciting. I... I it's hard to find hardware that is exciting, although I, these, I guess, could be considered exciting in, in levels of refinement of ideas of the types of phones that Samsung wants to make. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they're not really trying to make big changes between um, between de between generations of devices from a component level. The internals of the galaxy note 5 are largely identical is in you know i mean the, this is the first time that the note has used the same processor as the as the s class from a um from the previous generation and it speaks to the fact that samsung now owns most of its um of its kind of hardware components cycle they own the, the SOC. They mm -hmm. make the RAM. They can make the camera module. They don't in, in this device, at least. There have been some S6s were shipped with the Sony sensor and some S6s shipped with the Samsung sensor. But nobody could really tell the difference in quality. Mm -hmm. uh, they were very subtle. So it just speaks to the fact that, you know, the only two companies on the planet making any money from, from mobile are the only two companies that own the supply chain and or have the influence to uh, maneuver between it. Yeah. Uh, so let's, I mean... Well, so it's interesting. So we've we've opened this this pod up finally to, to Q&A successfully. We have people in here. And obviously, gener looking at some of the names of the people, I don't know if they're, they're trolling, but it seems like the... What people are interested in with this isn't the typical phone related hardware stuff it's things like price and the keyboard attachment which i don't know if that speaks to like hey basically you know what you're getting with a note and the note is just getting better and better and better and the the edge plus is essentially a revision of last year's experiments which people were kind of excited by um but yeah, yeah. Do we want to talk about the kind of change in 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 pricing and what Samsung is thinking about uh, pandering to enterprise? 
Okay, so let's start with the price. Price is not unexpected. It's $360 or $380, depending on the, the carrier, on contract for the Note 5. Uh, $460 to $480 for the entry level. And by entry level, I mean 32 gig uh, S6 Edge Plus. Those are crazy, crazy prices. Those are Apple level prices. Nobody else can charge those prices. The interesting thing, though, is that as Apple's proven time and time again, you can charge four or five hundred dollars for a phone and have them sell in quantity. I mean, in the U.S., the prices are going to be a lot lower because the exchange rate has really hit commodity prices in, or um, technology prices in Canada. But you know, even like assuming that on March 9th, when the Apple, uh, when the iPhone six and six plus increased in price. You know, if somebody walked into an, a Rogers or Bell store and wanted to buy an iPhone 6, they weren't going to be scared away by an extra 80 bucks. And if they were, then they probably bought a, an iPhone 5S or a 5C, which are significantly cheaper. Now, when you said that no one can charge that kind of price, do you mean no one other than Apple or no one other than Apple and Samsung? Cause there's... Well, that's what I mean. Samsung has or at least is faking the cachet that Apple does. Clearly, if they were charging $460 for a phone, the cheapest version of a phone model, with with the expectation that they weren't going to sell in quantity, then they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't come to market with it here. The carriers wouldn't want it. I mean, I have a story for you. The Galaxy S6 Edge, you know, with its you know, $350 price was $350 from the beginning. I mean, it, it debuted at that price. And I've, I was told by Samsung and by various carriers that they could not keep them on the shelves. They mm. were so popular that the second new stock came in, people were calling them up and buying them. On the flip side, you have a company like Motorola that you know just came out with the Moto G. And I was told that the carriers didn't even want to touch the more expensive 2 gigabyte and 16 gigabyte um, RAM and internal storage, respectively, version of the Moto G because they could not stomach spending that extra money. Now, the reason they couldn't stomach it is because every time they sell a phone for $0, that's under $500, they're making money mm-hmm. because uh, you know every time they're able to sell a $0 phone that actually costs them only $200 or $150 to buy from the dealer and that yet they're charging the same amount over 2 years as somebody who was who's buying a Galaxy yeah. S6. Yeah. That's that's a decent amount of profit for them. So yeah, so upping upping the internals only thinned the profit they would get from a reduced pricing of that device. It's like so the two components to you know only so and so is able to charge these kind of prices is a having a device that scratches that itch where you have people calling up interested in willing to pay and i think we what we saw with the edge was and it kind of surprised everyone that um it was something that people really wanted um but then also that you have the ability to to profit on the margins of that um so that's that's both on the component side and like the as we were just talking about structuring it so that uh you're, you're really making money from that, but then also that on the way through to the carriers that they that they will accept that, um, right? But at the same time, it's 
it's much like it, it's definitely Samsung's strategy to inundate the market and basically flood it with phones at every price point. So you can buy a Galaxy Ace 2 for nothing. You can buy a Galaxy S4 still for like 50 bucks. A Galaxy S5 for 100 bucks. Yeah. A Galaxy S6 uh, for you know two hundred bucks, an S6 Edge. They have they they run the gamut in terms of device pricing, and you're getting a very similar experience with the last generation of devices. Nobody's gonna confuse a Galaxy phone for like you know an iPhone, even though in many ways they're very similar. I have, but at the same, but so yeah, but we've and we've had commenters on your your wonderful hands-on saying things like, yeah, I'm just gonna stick with my Note three. Totally happy with it still, you know. And that's the other issue. The other issue is the phones in your hand, in your pocket today, aren't aging as fast as they used to. If you're keeping, like, you know, Android has a tendency to get all crufty after a few months, and you may have to do a reset. But generally, components are staying, you know, decent longer. Their lifespans are good. You know, my fiance has an iPhone 5 that runs really well. I've got, like, the LG G2 I turn on every couple of months, update it, and use it for a couple of days, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. You know, these are phones that are two, three years old, and you can run them like, you know, they were brand new as long as you keep them up fairly well. So we're getting to the point now where, you know, with, where Windows PCs and, and laptops hit in, like, the mid to late 2000s where you can hold on to a computer for five years, and as long as you don't, you know, fuck with it too much, and as long as it doesn't get, you know, a, a virus, then you're pretty much okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, so just looking here. Um... So I want to answer um, Chris's question. What's up, buddy? I hate the fact that that Samsung is pandering to BlackBerry users with this really shoddily made keyboard cover. Let's talk about two things. First of all, it's not a hardware keyboard cover in the sense that it does not use Bluetooth. It has no physical means of pressing the keys other than adding a capacitive layer, which in a sense is is sort of smart because it, it, lo- it cuts down on costs. It means that it doesn't have to be powered, but it, it feels cheap. It looks bad. It looks like a typo. Oh, and... no, 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 no. It doesn't look like it. It looks far worse. It looks like they've... <laughs> uh... So I've been doing this for a while, and the first thing that I saw thought of when I saw that keyboard, and maybe uh, Chris will appreciate this, is it looked like you know how there was that rumor, and then they eventually proved that um, they all those old unsold ET cartridges buried in the desert were actually there. It looks like <laughs> yes. they took the keyboard of all the old unsold Nokia E sixty one, which was. You know, back in the day, Nokia's um, enterprise BlackBerry competitor, they took all the keyboards from those unsold devices and then slapped it on a frame that could slide around a Samsung device. That's how that's how bunk these things look, bunk and cheap and yeah, not. Why would you spend that much money on a phone and then slide that cheap thing over top of it? And what, well, is it, what does it mean to have that kind of accessory for a device where they're basically pushing the magical capabilities of a pen? Yeah, and th- that's the other thing, too. Um, you know, obviously, they're marketing this device as sort of a laptop replacement in a way. 
you can you know take notes on it with your s pen and you can you know write to your heart's content with this physical keyboard and i mean maybe i'll get it and i'll use it and like it and whatever but aesthetically after honing the design of the note 5 to the point where it really cannot get any sleeker this just feels like one of those cheap Chinese knockoff versions Whew. of an Android phone Whew. that, or an Android accessory that doesn't quite fit on your phone, but it was cheap, so you just bought it anyway. Yeah, so it's we talk, we have talked many, many times in the past about the the compromises and the hard choices that hardware manufacturers have to make to to align the stars of feature price and design for their phones. Um, it things like this, the keyboard attachment are just hedges and hedges don't often work in mobile. And it's kind of embarrassing, but maybe, I don't know. We were, we were totally caught by surprise on with the, the edge. Maybe they'll sell like, three million of them well it also you know it's only for one device it's for the note 5 it doesn't work with any of the other phones and maybe if it's successful they'll come out with a whole line of shitty looking keyboard covers but what i find really interesting is that samsung has basically made these decisions it says okay we're no longer in the game of doing replaceable covers we don't want to make them anymore here's Mm -hmm. i mean here's what people don't understand Every time Samsung released a phone, they had to release a bunch of replacement covers. They had to release a bunch of replacement batteries. They, they had to sell, they distribute them and sell them and market them. And that was a lot of, of you know, corporate brain power and time that they could have been spending creating fewer better products well, and i know think... it's there's there's a there's two things there's, there's there's a design cost to having removable components versus a closed system and apple's been proving that for years and then there's like a logistical actual monetary cost that you as you're saying having to manage all those extra components that go into making a device like that so there's right there's two and, things but there's also the aspect of customer service right with oh, yeah. a closed system Samsung controls the entire cycle of repair, RMA, and redistribution into the market. If they decide, like Apple, that your phone warrants a repair, they can then give you a brand new phone, send that one in for refurbishment, and reissue it on the secondhand market and still make money from the second purchase, Mm -hmm. right? That's the whole point. That's how Apple, it's this... It's this virtuous cycle that not a lot of people realize that an iPhone never really dies. When it gets traded in, it either gets you know, refurbished and put back out on the market, or if it's left in its state, many, of the, many times it's you know, scuffed and whatever, mm-hmm. it's then just um, given to somebody else, like you know, passed down to a sibling or a, or a significant other or parent or something. And that's how it stays working until eventually it dies and you uh, recycle it. Never dies. Only missing in action. Well, there you go. So, you know, increasingly, Samsung needs to be able to control the entire 
cycle. Well, no, it's just it, like, yeah, it's like, it's the reason why we don't have Moto Maker in Canada. I don't know if that's the reason, well, but it's one no, of the... But, but so, like, because the cost of instituting that level of customization and flexibility worldwide would be the same kind of hit as having to manage the components of removable uh, battery components, back cases, and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. It's easier to do... It's, things are easier to manage when they're simpler. So, you know, on that note, simplicity is really one of the messages that Samsung is pushing with this phone. Um, and the number of features that it up that it typically includes in a new product has reduced by you know 90 percent last mm -hmm. year the year before with every note there were a ton of new features new ui changes uh, for all intents and purposes the note 5 doesn't have any new features it has a couple of additions to the air command uh well, the, s pen feature yeah the, the pen the pen is like the pen is the reason right it is, but Isn't it's not. Those aren't really big changes, right? There's something called uh, screen capture, which allows you to scroll down through a web page and capture the entire thing, and then annotate it, which is kind of neat. You can annotate PDFs directly on the device using the pen, and there are, you know, there's a, a bunch of new apps that support S Pen, so you can add them to Air Command. That's cool, but every time I buy a, a note, a, a note device, I barely if ever use the s pen after a couple of weeks yeah i don't like yeah i don't even want to go into my thoughts on that because it's obviously just not for me and i know people who use them that appeals to them but uh we're getting a lot of uh, mid-tier versus high-end questions in the in the q a and i'm wondering if we can relate this back because it is true that they're, they're if they're really not new they're just iteratively better is that a concern at the high end in the way that it, it's a concern in the in the mid tier? Because in the in the mid tier, you're always trying to hit that like offering and price matrix that say a company like Motorola really struggles with. Whereas at the high end, every year there are going to people be people willing to drop cash for the latest best phone, even if it's not significantly better than last year's best phone. And and I feel like you have to be more experimental, or it's it's um it's a much greater moving target each year for what the compelling mid range phone is going to be uh, than at the high end where you have these kind of flagship identities, and as long as it's iterative improvements, it works. Like with you know the iPhone six wasn't much different than the five S. Um, but it's so, still sold like hotcakes. So you're you're. I would have to disagree. So, yeah, the iPhone six was an enormous departure from the five S, mm -hmm. just like the Note five is an enormous departure from the Note four. But it depends how you view the significance of an entire redesign, a brand new chip lots of small improvements rather than these large brush type of improvements. So, yeah, I mean, well, the Note but, 5, it, if the Galaxy S6 hadn't come out, you know, less than six months ago, the Note 5 would be a huge surprise. But People look at it this People would have gone way. crazy. All of those are internal hidden things. Like, no matter what's, 
Okay, at the mid-range, specs matter. Because it could be the difference between a phone that it's too slow or just fast enough. But at the high end, even if it's a new chip or whatnot and all these new things, it's basically results, the experience results of being, this is the fastest thing that you can get this year, even if it's mm -hmm. not as much faster. But at the mid-end, it's like, oh man, this camera component means that I can't use this phone, or this battery choice means it's just not good enough or not worth the price. Like it's that kind of thing where like yes, they've they've re, they've rearchitected and done all these things, but if the end result is just like this is the nicest, cleanest, fastest, brightest thing this year, even if it's not that much brighter, cleaner, faster, better than last year's model, um it doesn't matter as much whereas in the mid-tier that could totally sink a device. And what we're seeing with with the the Moto announcements, which we didn't get a chance to talk about um and you know q a people if you have questions from just the summer ask them because we haven't potted in a while um where like it seems like motorola in kind of successfully nailing with the the moto g but not quite hitting with the moto x sales wise is like hedging what they think this year's successful device is going to be like they weren't sure which was going to be the best so they gave two and kind of split the difference do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, but they so Motorola has has learned quickly that it cannot compete except on price. So for you know value, they, they basically compete on value for money. Yes. And the Moto G is a a great phone if you consider and if and only if you consider its price. Whereas the Samsung, like the the top of the line Samsung devices, are you know the alienware computers of android yes, yes, yes. phones this is exactly what i'm saying so for samsung the value for money equation is very easy for a customer it's spend the most amount of money to get the best possible fully featured triple a experience on mobile motorola on the other hand has a lot of people saying here's the best value for this kind of price point which is very difficult to hit for a broad section of, of consumers. So what they've said was, your, your value for um, price point equation might be slightly different. So here are two, here's our 1A and 1B, and hopefully half of you will like one and half of you will like the other. Go, go enjoy them. Right. So... What's, what I find really interesting about Motorola this year is that it's split the Moto X into two versions. The Moto G is the same. It's a lot yeah. better than it was last year. And it's the first Moto G that I would actually go ahead and recommend to not just cheap people, but any person. So you can buy the Moto G and have a pretty good experience with it, even if you're coming from like a high-end Android phone or an iPhone. Great travel That's the phone. first time I could say that. Great travel phone, totally reliable. If you lost it, it wouldn't it wouldn't break your heart. Exactly, and it's waterproof and whatever. Yeah. So, but what I find really interesting about the Moto X Play, which is the only version coming to Canada, is that it runs essentially a mid-range chip, but it is, and it has all of the fixins to make a high. Like <laughs> it looks like a high-end phone. It feels like a high-end phone. But when you dig deeper, when you really start questioning Motorola's choices, 
you see where it's cut corners mm -hmm. just like you can in the moto g but for some reason motorola has been actively devaluing its moto x brand by charging less by having these flash sales and by doing so it's establishing its flagship line as a direct successor in price to the moto g so instead of the moto g being way down here and the moto x being inaccessible to moto g buyers it's establishing continuity and this sort of um predictable brand presence where okay if you want to you know it's like i have four hundred dollars to spend i'll get the moto x play i have three hundred dollars to spend i'll mm -hmm. get the high-end moto g i have two hundred dollars i'll get the low-end moto g if i have 100 i'll get the moto yes. e and if i have 500 dollars to spend i can get the tricked out moto maker version of the moto x style yeah with leather trims and, and colored accents and but it, but all five of those versions look and feel exactly the same there's a very little difference other than screen resolution and like some performance differences but by and large motorola's baby yeah. is its brand it's not necessarily the devices itself yeah, yeah, yeah totally but but as you're saying they're kind of splitting the difference and trying to capture all the diffusions it's like the the mid-range phone and the low-end phone market is a prism and they've got a device for every color under this broad moto brand where at the high end you don't have to do that it's just like this is just the best Here's the best. And here's here's the best one with the roundy screen. Right, but also and here's the best one with a pen, you know? But then then here's the th I mean, you, then you look at it and you can you say okay, fine. The Moto the Moto X is a $400 phone that moonlights as a $7800 phone. So that's Motorola's advantage. Mm. But Samsung is charging more than any other company. But it has that brand recognition anyway. Then you have companies like LG, like HTC, and Sony that are being squeezed out of the high end. Yeah, all by, the companies not making money, which by we the, about today, Yeah, right? by, by the Xiaomi's, by the OnePluses. And I have this OnePlus 2 here, and I really want to talk about it because the OnePlus 2, you know, marketing gimmicks aside, is probably a better phone than the LG G4, is probably a better phone than the Sony Xperia Z3 Plus. It's probably a better phone than even the Galaxy S6. And what, what Samsung and LG and Sony and HTC and everybody needs to worry about is that brand recognition aside, over time there are going to be fewer and fewer reasons to spend 900 to to $1,000 on a phone, especially once carriers get wind of the, the benefits to cutting contracts. Okay, like so they are, counterpoint. Hang on. Hang on. When carriers get wind of the financial incentives to cut contracts and to just charge for the phone on a financing term and then charge less for your monthly plan, not only are customers happier, accounting is simpler, and everybody wins because the carriers are not making any less money. They're just not selling the hardware with any sort of a margin, with their, which they're already – like those margins are so razor thin anyway – that they just they just need to accept it and give it up. So go ahead. The reason why the OnePlus Two can be a better phone is because they are in no way trying to sell through the amount of devices 
that those other much larger companies you mentioned need to to make their quarterly amounts. So for the OnePlus 2 to sell globally at a, at a high level, would they still be able to source those components, get those deals, and sell through? Like, would the economic factors work? We're talking about Samsung being able to charge more and probably profit more because they own more of the manufacturing stack. These mid-range makers don't. They are more subject to the whims of the components that are available. So sometimes, even if they want to put the next new nice thing in there, they can't get enough. Um, the OnePlus 2 isn't looking to sell very many of anything, so they can maybe take those leftover components and put together um, a really nice, uh, almost uh, bespoke phone for people who get invites. But that's and not what like they're this, doing, right? I mean, if if they were, if they had like, you know, if they were using leftover Qualcomm chips and like, you know, no name brand fingerprint sensors and you know all these no, no, things no. I don't, that would I don't be necessarily one thing. mean bad components i mean like hey we're uh motorola we need to sell 20 million of these things oh hey yeah uh we're we can't manufacture that many that fast sorry um can't fulfill that order okay looks like we can't use that uh thing because if we don't sell through enough in this quarter our our company share price is going to take a major hit we have to go with something else oh hey we're one plus two we only need five hundred thousand of these we're totally fine with the amount that you're able to produce. Okay, we'll go with that. I'm not saying I'm not saying cheap off the shelf stuff. I'm saying like um, like there's a reason why the two profitable mobile phone manufacturers either have amazing relationships with Foxconn or produce their own stuff. It's so that they can guarantee what they what they need um, and at the quality they need it, and everyone else can't. But if you're only like, hey, we only want to make five phones, you can make the best phones in the world. It's like it's like when Nokia used to make like twelve thousand dollar Virtu phones that were just like caked in like baby tears to you know lower your, cancer rates and things like that. The difference is, I mean, you're, you're missing one fundamental of manufacturing, and that's buying in bulk allows you to buy components for much less money. So yeah, Motorola, only if they can in, produce that many, right? But they can. So Motorola in ordering i mean we're not talking about 20 million units maybe with the moto g but motorola can can sell the moto g for 200 dollars because it's able to produce 20 million of them and and uh successfully uh order those components whereas yes. OnePlus is ordering them on scales much lower Th and thank you for making my point for me so i'm not no, really sure if they would be able to order those components at the scale that Motorola would need to be. So this, like, because they are smaller and more targeted, they are able to do something that the other mid-range makers can't. But that like, would I'm increase sure... its price. That would make the phone more expensive. I know, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying they're successful because they're not the size of LG. They're successful because they're not the size of HTC, and they don't have 200 carriers worldwide. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wide saying, you better guarantee us X amount of devices at this price or we're not going to push it. Because they're not okay. selling through that way, which allows them to keep the cost down because they can, they're selling in smaller amounts. They're selling in smaller amounts, but they're buying the components at higher prices so that they – so the first OnePlus, for example, was basically using off-the-shelf parts that they could buy leftover from, you know, uh, what it's yeah. like partner company. And like an off-the-shelf crowdsourced OS <laughs> – it was um, cyanogen, right? Not cyanogen. It was Oppo. Hmm. So you know, Oppo had all these manufacturing partners. Mm-hmm. OnePlus's relationship with Oppo isn't quite known, but you know, basically we have the you know understanding that they are in cahoots in some way. But OnePlus is still building on a scale that is one one thousandth that of Motorola or even like Microsoft. And what you have is if they could buy these components at prices in, in volumes and prices that were, say, looking like Xiaomi. Like, look at, look at Xiaomi, for example. Xiaomi has – they just announced a, the Redmi Note 2. Mm-hmm. It's $150 for the exact same hardware as HTC's 1M9 Plus, mm-hmm. like identical hardware. But the HTC's phone is selling for – three times the cost so why if that is the case if xiaomi this upstart manufacturer is able to sell the phone for 150 dollars clearly well they're the a north american s- upstart but i wouldn't consider them the consider them a global upstart who xiaomi is not a north american company yeah xiaomi is a chinese company selling in china and like and india and asia Totally, like that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I, I, you know, I think applying a global perspective to this, I don't, I don't know if they're as upstarty as you make them out to be. They obviously, they're up, they, I mean, they're upstarty in the sense that they've demolished Samsung's market share in China, like single-handedly over the last three, four years. Um, anyway, I mean, we're we're, we're getting a little bit like circular here, so I don't I don't, don't know. If yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, we got to the next step is like to bust out charts and graphs and like logistics <laughs> timelines. But but these are the types of things like it, it would be really interesting to see if 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 OnePlus could do what they're doing now at a scale of a company like HTC, LG, or Motorola. But that is their goal, and once they do that, then they should be able to charge significantly less for the same phone. That's my argument, is that once they get to that okay. point, but if they continue making phones of this quality, they well, should the f- be able to charge significantly less because their buying power is significantly uh, higher. I agree if they are trying to sell more of the OnePlus 3, it will be cheaper. My question would be, will it be as high quality? Right, so that's the other thing too. The the OnePlus Two is significantly better quality than the OnePlus One, so it just speaks to the fact that they can avoiding all of the distribution issues that the you know Samsungs and Apples and um, LGs and HTCs of the world need to deal with can charge direct to consumer prices 
that are significantly lower. It's like it's like Expedia basically selling you a package trip mm-hmm. for less because you don't have to go through the travel agent and pay those ridiculous totally um, you know fees to to have a, a middleman. The carrier is that middleman for most people. Or or think of, think of it this way: it's like when you get a uh, a Groupon deal that's like seventy percent off for like a massage at this place. But it's only for 50 people because if the company tried to sell it at that price point for, say, 5 million people worldwide, they would they would go out of business. <laughs> if it's a small, controlled, promotional thing, it's it's the the economics of it are, are very different than, say, you know, HTC, you know, oh, poor HTC. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there there's there's probably a. Uh a sign like a, a, a sign curve yeah yeah a sign curve that applies to this exact model that some economist has built and it'll apply directly to this um yeah and disclosure but I mean, just people from a, we are not economists for the love of god clearly from this podcast we've proven that we're not economists um well we're pontificators we're we're more um we're let's be honest we're bullshitters they, um, the OnePlus 2, though, is a really interesting phone. It's, it's impressed me a lot in my short time with it. And what I know about the company, um, you know, it's run like a startup. It's got, you know, it, it's, it's run like a, a lean startup. You know, they only have like 500 employees. And they're basically taking advantage of every manufacturing opportunity in shenzhen but running it like a san francisco startup which is really interesting so um sean jackson shout out shout out sigil jacks sigil jacks uh at sigil jacks whatever shout out at sean jackson wherever you are on twitter uh not able to watch live but thoughts on the new unlocked approach from companies like moto spreading to canada yeah i mean it's interesting that the you know, you bring up Moto because the Moto G third generation isn't sold unlocked in Canada yet, and it may not. So, you know, the strategy of selling direct to consumer is not as lucrative for some companies as we've been led to believe. So, Asus, Acer, um, you know, Blue, these are all companies that have avoided the carrier system completely and and has gone you know they're selling through places like Newegg and canada computers and direct memory and whatever but the visibility for these devices is like minimal at best one two percent of the of the population is going to be walking through these stores looking Mm -hmm. for smartphones you know these are the same people who go on red flag deals and try to find the best um deals for like unlocked phones and laptops and tablets and whatever yeah so they they buy uh like usb flash sticks in bulk (laughs) yeah exactly for uh you know the apocalypse um you know what i what i like about the movement towards unlocked phones especially dual sim phones is that it understands a nascent market in canada it understands the market of people that travel home a lot. There are millions of Canadians who basically have two homes. They have Canada, and then they have their 
their former home and they travel all the time. I know tons of people who go back to Portugal every summer, many mm -hmm. times, China all the time, India all the time, South Africa all the time. And they want dual SIM phones. They want to be able to just buy a cheap um, prepaid phone plan when they get, you know, when they get there and then come back to Canada and not have to worry about these things. And the market isn't going to be big ever, but it's a significant percentage of frequent of frequent travelers. And mm -hmm. I, I like that there's a, there are devices for them. Uh, speaking of travel, uh, you had the um, wonderful, super enraging opportunity to go to Alaska. I to, did. To hang out with uh, Malamutes and, like, do the Iditarod or something. Do we want to talk about that a bit? Because I thought you were uh, right Yeah, I'm wonderful. actually a professional dog sledder. Yeah. And um, I'm a professional dog petter. I, I race huskies. So the the trip was ostensibly to show a bunch of journalists the virtues of the Microsoft ecosystem. So we got to try the Lumia 640XL, the 5.7-inch 720p smartphone that's sold unlocked in Canada from the Microsoft store for about 350 bucks. Mm -hmm. And while it's not the best phone that I've used from Nokia, from Microsoft, from anybody, it's got a really good camera and what better place in the world to shoot great scenic photography than in Alaska in August. So mm -hmm. um, we hung out in Anchorage for a cup for a, like a one night and then we took a train up to a place called Whittier. We took a cruise on a basically a glacier cruise where they took us around a bunch of fjords and showed us <laughs> these ridiculously beautiful blue glaciers. And then um, we went to the largest ski resort in Alaska, Alaska. And right now it's used mainly for uh, people who want to, um, who are food tourists. I didn't know about this, but there's like a world famous restaurant at the top of this hotel called the Seven Glaciers. And you, you take a tram ride up to the top and you can see Seven Glaciers from the, ho from the restaurant, which still? is incredible. Still, I mean, it's, <laughs> they're diminishing, but they're still there. And uh, it was awesome. It was a really good trip. And then the last day, right before I came home, I got taken on a helicopter to a glacier where they're mushing dogs that train for the Iditarod. Now, mushing means that they keep them active in the off-season to prevent them from you know, getting too lean or too fat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they just run these dogs all day because they need to be run all day. And they get some money... So this is like a family-run business that they just set up on a glacier and just live there with the dogs all summer. It's crazy. And these dogs are seriously beautiful, like beautiful and so friendly and so well-adjusted to people. Yeah, Malamutes are some of the friendliest dogs in the world for sure. Oh, they're so cool. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really very cool trip. But I, I, I left a day after I got back from Scotland, which I went on for a vacation. So... If you have been wondering why there's been no syrup cast, it's because I've been out of the country for three weeks, mm -hmm. and I've been in detox. And you, you also. So tell us about the BlackBerry Security Summit. You, 
you did the you did the syrup. Yeah. You went back yeah. to syrup cast li- uh, syrup land for a couple days. Yeah, while you were rolling over the hills of Scotland, I was uh, caught on the Jersey Turnpike <laughs> trying to get into Manhattan. Uh, you make you make it sound so awful. So I was in New York for less than twenty four hours. And I swear to God, I spent six of it getting in and out of New York. Um, missed, had one flight delayed, um, was talking to Ian about it, missed <laughs> missed the other flight, so they put me on a later flight. Um, oh, that's yeah, brutal. Had no, had no hotel until like midnight, the night I got in, and then went to a BlackBerry security summit, which... For as confused as the messaging was and always has been for the company now known as BlackBerry, um, it was clear that they were you you could you could with effort, which I believe that I did in my write up, tie together a narrative of how far BlackBerry has come in a security portfolio that could be compelling to a wide variety of companies in different verticals. Um there was absolutely no talk of hardware, no matter what any journalist for Reuters or some other national publication might think is the case. It was it was purely a security focused event. Um, and you mean they're not going to have a germ free phone later this year? Hey, you know, it's it's hard for those daily papers. We're hiring away all their talent, so I don't know who they're sending. But um, yeah, you know, and that's uh, it's it's the uh, live by the Chen going off script, die by the Chen going off script, um, and that that kind of came up during the uh, during the summit where he um, both referenced the recent car hack stories that had come out um, without bringing up that those cars run off of Cunix. <laughs> Um, right. at least one of them and then at the end of the event um, totally stole the closing keynote to say a few things and introduce someone else to finish it it was just a weirdly it's like it was all the right information in the exact wrong order um, but the information was good they have a great security portfolio they've, they've acquired some really smart companies that kind of round out the core security um, they have a plan to to make that work in the in the health space and the uh, IoT space broadly, and they didn't talk a lot about cars actually, um, but I think just because that's an that's an ongoing thing uh, in the in the messaging space and things like that, um, and that's that's honestly where it seems like the revenue focus of the company is right now, and probably where it should be because it's. Um, Secure enterprise communication of information was always BlackBerry's strong point. Um, whether or not it's tied to hardware, and that it's it's easy to see why they're kind of doubling down on it now. So, obviously, at a security summit, they're not talking much hardware. The ostensibly there was an you know, analyst flown in from like Paris who was like, or from France or something, was just like, anything, any phones, and just any, any you want to talk at all? No phone, I mean, it's, like, I it's, it's such low hanging fruit, right? And it, what yeah. we find on our site is that 
we can talk to the end of the earth about the you know we can we can tell that bez story so much uh with so much detail and blackberry's willing to talk about it so much more than they ever have been not to mention the fact that bez as a product is a lot more interesting now that it is you know both an mdm and um on site uh like a a, a cloud-based mdm and on site uh you know whatever it's called device management system yeah mdm mobile device management yeah so like but it, and it's actually like internationally compelling right now when they're talking about two of the Security companies that they've acquired at a, at a government level uh, because BlackBerry is all about regulated industries, right? So that's like healthcare, government, and uh, finance, I think is the, the third, uh, the holy, holy trinity, as I call it in the piece. You know, when, when it comes to one of their companies basically blowing up because, you know, Germany wants to use them because they don't want the U.S. spying on Angela Merkel's phone calls anymore. And when the other company uh, goes global with its... Um, What's the way to describe emergency communication services platform uh, in Canada following the shooting at Parliament Hill? Like this isn't just like boring old uh, don't get malware on your on your phone. Uh, this isn't even Sony hack. This is like crucial infrastructure and the the functionings of the most higher highest like power structures in, in the world. So like that is that could be a really sexy story. And some of the people at those at the companies that they've acquired when they got on stage could could speak to it in a compelling way, but you know even BlackBerry admitted during the event like we're figuring out how to message and package this stuff together now that we're ready to sell it, and that yeah. I swear to God is something BlackBerry and Research in Motion has never ever 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 done well ever. Ever, but they're still not really doing it well. No, no. They so, but yeah. So the expectation, trying. yeah. So the expectation that they could somehow do it, like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe all the new people that they've brought on and hired in New York will be able to do that for them. But based on the event, like, they're still, you know, these aren't easy things to sell or package in in a way that a phone could and should be. So is BlackBerry still a Canadian company? I mean, I, I think mm. I say that every time we talk about this, but more and more I feel like that's not the case. I would say all signs point to no. And or from like what you know... not in any significant way. Because a lot of your... When, you know, when you worked at BlackBerry, um, and, you know, do your disclosure, when did you work there between? Yeah. Uh, 2009-2011. So four years ago... Most of the people that you knew there are no longer at the company, correct? Well, more than half the people at the company aren't at the company anymore from that time. <laughs> right. They laid off like 7,000 people in like one year. Um, I left before then. Um, but yeah, so uh, there, are, there are still some people that I, I know that are they're, they're great. But what you've seen is at an executive and even a director level, they have either been transitioned to New York or the new people that have been brought in are either in New York or the Valley. So there um, isn't uh, – there is a, a still a Waterloo contingent, but the 20-building campus is now like two buildings. 
and the rest has been either sold back to the University of Waterloo or is being rented out. We've actually covered the Accelerator Center um, on Beta Kit just bought, I think, one of the uh, a floor on one of the buildings I used to work in, um, or across the street from where I used to work, and they're filling it with uh, Kitchen Waterloo startups. But you know, the decisions the decisions of BlackBerry's future aren't being made in Kitchener, Waterloo, or Canada anymore. What's really interesting is that uh, it appears the placement of you know a company's executive team is becoming or has become increasingly more important. For example, Telus's CEO actually was forced to resign this week or last week because of his um, inability to move out west. So Joe Natale is leaving the company at the end of the year mm-hmm. because the board of directors at Telus requires that the CEO live in Vancouver. And uh, Darren Entwistle, who is who was the executive director of the board after giving up his CEO position in you know 2014, is coming back to be uh, CEO. But what I found is that you know when a company is as global as BlackBerry is, with the foundations it has in Canada, yes, the fact that not a single or at least very few of of its executive team live with the engineers, live with the marketing people, live with well, the... no, all the marketing people are in New York now. They've completely gutted. That's all being run out of New York. There are still people in Kitchener Waterloo, but that's all being like that's. They completely replaced that. PR and communications is being run out of New York. Um, if, uh, if we wanted to go like team by team, um, I, I would have to you know get out my flowchart and, and and pick it up. But yeah, there, there's no. They are they are still a global company, a global brand. But that's that's that brand identity isn't coming from Canada anymore. And that's what I find you know a little bit disconcerting especially given the you know the vehemence um for which many blackberry fans defend the company on a patriotic level Mm -hmm. um you know i think people both have to give up the i mean blackberry is not going to give up in in the hardware game anytime soon but they've basically lost the hardware battle but when it comes to actually identifying blackberry as a canadian company it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that well, yeah, and I, you know, I think we might reach a point, and I think we can. I don't know. It's the type of thing where it's like, is Root still a Canadian company? Is like, like Bombardier is right, but like, does it even matter? In, in I mean, a, that's yeah, another in a, question. In a global, like the fact that it was like started here and grew up here and then becomes a global thing, you know, like um, Drake's worldwide as much as he reps the six, you know, like at a certain point, um, it'd be great if they could be fully headquartered out of Kitchener Waterloo and stuff but I I feel like the conditions for them to do that like Kitchener Waterloo is blowing up as a place with great engineering talent and that story's been there for a while and you're seeing all these Canadian startups you know the the forest fire that was rim burning seeded the ground for a lot of new growth but even those young hot startups when they're looking for sales talent and when they're looking for marketing talent, they don't look to Kitchener-Waterloo. They don't look to Toronto. They look to New York and the Valley. So 
maybe to be a global company at that level, there you could never really have a significant component there. Because what was I guess so. I mean, a lot of the best communications companies live out of New York and San Francisco. So, and they, you know, America is from a security and, um, you know, from a revenue perspective, the U.S. has disappointed BlackBerry for the last few quarters. But when Indonesia and, you know, um, EMEA was making up the difference in revenue, that was okay. But now, you know, Indonesia is not in Nigeria and those places are not pulling in the kinds of regional revenue for BlackBerry that they used to. That's, I think, why they're doubling down on North America and the U.S. in particular again. Because really, other than places like China, where BlackBerry is not really welcome... Uh, I, don't th- I, think it's, I think it's more because they have easier access to regulated industries here. Well, that's the other... I mean, that's, that's true of, of, of every company, right? The, the, the government spends more in the U.S. on... Um, on development from a military and defense perspective mm-hmm. than any other country outside of pretty much China. Mm-hmm. And as I said, China and BlackBerry don't really get along. So Well, no, and, and you just saw, I think we wrote about like last week, like was it uh, Pakistan? It was basically like, yeah, we're, for security reasons, we're killing all public sector Bez access because basically BlackBerry won't give up or won't or can't because of the way it's um, the infrastructure is built give up uh, access so and I mean it's good that BlackBerry is sticking to its guns there because they've actually they've disappointed a lot of people by agreeing to let law enforcement in India Pakistan and many other countries you know get into their system when um, it, uh... I might be behind on it, but I feel like in most instances they've not conceded that, and that's why they they're have, being they, kicked out. No, of no, they've certainly denied access more times than they've allowed it. But there were times when they allowed law enforcement to access uh, pins of, um, I believe, suspected terrorists in India. Mm, okay, and they arranged a, because yeah, yeah. India. Remember, India uh, threatened to. to block blackberry blackberry's biz network from the country unless they did that yeah that's that's a little different that's like almost at a carrier level request for specific information versus obviously what pakistan wants is a a backdoor through the whole system right um yeah they want to they they basically want a um prism like solution which is understandable because, you know, if something like PRISM was happening in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., it's definitely going to be plausible for it to be happening in more dictatorial countries like Pakistan and, and, uh, and where, India. Where, well, where the technology was first implemented that's now being brought back home. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's so, a different podcast. That's our, that's our uh, mobile info sec. Podcast. You gotta get Brad. I'd love to get on. the guy behind. I'd love to get the the guy behind um, Infosec Taylor Swift. Oh man, me, you mean show. You mean Taylor Swift? Of that's course. her. That's actually her, man. <laughs> Obviously, Taylor Swift is 
the genius behind InfoSec Taylor Swift. When she's not freaking out um, about Ryan Adams covers of her album, she's reading reading heavy on the latest InfoSec news. Taylor Swift, just as a tidbit, was also the genius behind horse ebooks. <laughs> so <laughs> No, that was actually, no. Don't genius. That was a BuzzFeed I remember that press conference. That was dumb. Um, what are you talking about? No, horse ebooks was was there were two people actually behind it. Yeah, and it was like a journalist did it as an experiment. No, they it wasn't they weren't journalists, were they? Yeah, there was like a BuzzFeed writer or a Mashable writer or something. Yeah. No, you're thinking of fake Steve Jobs. No. Okay, well we're we're so off track now. Is it there any other questions from the Okay, so yeah, let's go back to let's let's circle back to the beginning before we end. So Chris Parsons asked is the samsung youtube live streaming thing exclusive to samsung yes it's a part of samsung's camera app it's one of the modes that you download and basically all it does is it just taps into youtube's live streaming api so what you do is you sign into a youtube account and due to limitations of the api you have you have to wait 30 seconds for it to um, begin broadcasting Mm -hmm. samsung claims this is giving you time to set up your camera you know put on some pants and generally just like become a more presentable human being before you live cast to the world but once (laughs) you start broadcasting you get a shareable link and then you can post it on the internet and it just links to a youtube page so it's not periscope it's not a meerkat competitor it's actually just youtube live streaming but directly from your Samsung phone, which is actually a lot less. I thought it would like when I heard about this, I thought it was going to be a closed system, mm-hmm. but it's basically just a really yeah. cool feature that happens to only be accessible through a Samsung app. Yeah. Which YouTube is happy about because they're really behind in social and being attacked on video. Totally. Um, and I mean, I love Periscope, but the fact that you have to put your phone into portrait mode to Periscope is absurd. Right. By the way, follow Mobile Syrup on Periscope if you haven't. <laughs> For the latest unboxings and what we're eating at lunch. Uh, uh, shout out Igor, by the way, one hour and five minutes into the pod, for having his first live on air TV interview today with CTV talking about Uber. Dude killed it. And, and then uh, ate birthday congratulations. cake. <laughs> we popped his cherry and we gave him somebody else's birthday cake. It wasn't his birthday. Um. Uh, is the so fingerprint scanner on the Note 5 upgraded the same way as the S6? It's the same sensor. It's the exact same hardware. Um, has there been any further word about a Canadian release date for the Moto X Play? Uh, I'm hearing August 25th. That may change. It may be later in the month or early September, but right now I'm hearing about uh, August 25th. Uh Let's continue. Uh, Evan Hindra, your, the Lenovo stance when it comes to selling things being value first, having experienced a wide a variety of Lenovo products, I would say that that is not true. And uh, yeah, I mean, basically the Moto X Play, which I haven't really talked about, is a really nice phone. And I've I've put it up in terms of camera against the Galaxy S6, and it it competes. I mean, it's got a 21 megapixel camera, f 2.0 lens. The optics aren't quite as good, and the ISP is much better on the Samsung phone. So you get you know cleaner shots, better low light. Um, it's the the thing about Samsung phone 
uh, and the, the Galaxy S6 and the G4 from LG is that they're far more intelligent at choosing how to expose a scene. That's really been an issue with phones. Mm. They don't know where to focus. They don't have accurate or um, dependable focus. And in anything other than like perfect sunlight, it just does not know how to expose it. The Moto X Play still exposes things badly in many cases. It chooses a much lower shutter speed than it needs to in, in many mm. cases as well. So a lot of these things can likely be fixed via software updates. But, you know, Moto, Motorola released a software update for the original Moto X to, you know, fix ostensibly, quote-unquote, fix its camera. They did the same for the Moto X second gen. Nothing really changed. The cameras themselves were still pretty bad. We're starting at a much better level here with the Moto X Play. The optics, the the lens, the entire ecosystem is a much more friendly place for Android phones uh, and cameras. But it's not as good as a Galaxy S6. But really, like it's a four hundred dollar phone. It's not really trying to be. So anybody who buys the Moto X Play, they're going to be pretty happy with the camera performance. Yeah, and just having another Android phone with a solid camera is like a blessing. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> I do. I mean, it's really like it's not hard to buy a, an Android phone with a decent camera today. You know, 2015, we we did get lucky with the fact that there were a bunch of really great cameras on phones that aren't that expensive. So, you know, even the Moto G has a decent camera, and that's like 230 bucks. I think we're gonna have to do so, uh, end of summer shootout. Oh, I've already started. It's just it just takes a long time to put it all together. Well, when you're you're shooting out by yourself. Just sh- you're just shooting off. It's not even a shootout. You're right. I'm just I'm, I'm shooting blanks. Overexposed. TMI. Uh, that is, I think, it for today, right? Did we pod? Is that how one pods? That's how one pods. I forget if that's how you do it, but I think at 70 minutes, we've <laughs> exhausted all possible topics. I've exhausted we'll be my back patience. next week. There are tons of things I want to talk about. Apple news, you're going to have to deal with it. It's going to be Apple season soon in more ways than one. There's going to be tons of Apple news over the next few weeks. I'll be reviewing iOS 9. I have a ton of things I want to say. You know, as this iVerge person uh, representing Mobile Syrup, I I, I have to be be honest. Wait, you're talking about the the Verge, that uh, movie and entertainment website? The one that raised two hundred million dollars um, from raised, Comcast. raised, yeah. Um, shout out to Jeff Broussard. Uh Change your avatar back, buddy. It's just not the same. And shout outs, Nate. Thanks for tuning in. Shout outs, Chris. Shout outs, Scott. Evan. Thanks for being on the pod, asking great questions. Uh, next week, tell your friends. Tell your tell your wife. Tell your kids. And uh, we will we'll see you next week. Pod your kids, pod your wife.